Welcome to another week of This Week in Government Enforcement. Jerome Thomas, as always, joined by Tom Firestone. We have a special guest uh, appearance, a, a second mm -hmm. appearance by our colleague, our tax colleague, Aaron Gladney, who uh, is going to talk with us about a fascinating development. Um, the Weisselberg, um, who is the, the former CFO of the Trump Organization, the Weisselberg criminal charges. And she's going to walk us through along with Tom on some, some topics such as, you know, why is this criminal versus civil and what are the essence of the charges? Again, um, you know, sort of late breaking news. And we wanted to bring Aaron on to talk about that. I'm then going to take over and talk just a quick minute about the new SEC enforcement director, um, uh, current uh, uh, attorney general um, for the state of New Jersey and a former federal prosecutor, including in the Eastern District of New York, where he was in the same office with, uh, with Tom Firestone. So we'll ask Tom to jump in real quick. And then I'll bring us home by talking about a, uh, a new and super interesting SEC enforcement case involving a dark web insider trading ring orchestrated by a Greek national. Um, so I guess uh, without uh, further deliberation, Tom and Aaron, why don't you talk about it, talk to us about uh, the Weisselberg indictment? Thanks. Thanks, Jerome. And welcome back, Aaron. So I should just tell her again that Aaron is a tax partner in our New York office. So she is ideally qualified to talk about this case, which is, after all, a criminal charge under New York State um, law, tax law and criminal law. And it's not just Weisselberg, he is the human defendant in this case, but the Trump organization is also charged as a corporate entity. Um, the charges came out about a week and a half ago. And if anyone hasn't looked at the indictment, it is quite long. It's about 25 pages long, and it stretches over a 16 year period from 2005 to 21. Um, charges 15 counts, including tax fraud, scheme to defraud, and other charges under New York law. So if somebody didn't have the time to read all of that, which I assume most of our listeners did not, I'd like to first ask you, Aaron, just boil it down to its essential. Sure. What are Weisselberg and the organization charged with? What are they to have done? Yes. Yeah, so um, the allegations here are that the Trump organization paid for over a number of years, um, rental, um, apartment expenses for Weisselberg, utilities, cable, internet, garage fees, tuition for his grandchild or children to go to a New York City private school. So um, typically, you know, when you are an employee of a business, your income is, is taxable as, as, you know, employee compensation. And the Trump organization as the employer would be um, liable for payroll taxes. So federal employers, you have to contribute to Social Security, Medicare. A lot of federal programs are funded through payroll contributions on the employer side. The employee also is required to pay payroll taxes in addition to federal income taxes on their income. So this chunk of money that they're alleging was sort of disguised payments to him, there was no taxes paid on that amount. And then a, a, a big chunk of the um, counts relate to offering false instruments, filing of false tax returns, because those tax returns would have included less income than the individual actually received in that year. And there's a whole other few of them are about falsifying business records. So the indictment alleges that the organization kept a double set of spreadsheets. One set of spreadsheets included the amounts for these various um, payments made alleged to have been made to Weisselberg, and they were then subtracted from his total comp. So if he was making a million a year, they subtracted the amount for rent, 
um, these various expenses. And I believe also his, his son and now ex-daughter-in-law were staying in an apartment at one point, believed to have either been owned by the Trump organization or Trump and um, former Melania Trump. Um, it's unclear yet if that will all be proven, but um, there's been um, cooperation with the former daughter-in-law with investigators that they did in fact stay in that apartment and never paid rent. So this is just a classic <laughs> under the table scheme, the kind that we see a million times in a million businesses across the country. Right. Somebody gets paid under the table. They right. don't declare taxes on it. They don't pay taxes on it. So that's why it's, you know, he's getting money from the organization. Yeah. He's not paying taxes on it. So right. uh, depending on right. what you're in that can be a substantial right and what? it's a different and interesting piece too is for so new york city is one of the cities that has resident tax so he also the organization is also alleged to have helped him conceal that he lived in new york city when he was in this apartment so he was also you know not paying those so he beat new york city <laughs> right. which is not a small thing no it is not lived in new york city yes those taxes can be it's a substantial. lot right um so but why so i see why it's advantageous to the employee he's getting you know part mm -hmm. of income his salary is tax-free, essentially, which makes it, depending on what bracket you're in, a third, of, you know, half, one and a half times the amount you would get if you were paying taxes on it. But why is it advantageous to the organization to do it? Why are they charged? They're paying the guy. So the money is coming out of the organization. They're just paying him in a way that he doesn't declare taxes on. Why are they dragged into this criminal indictment? I mean, they're facilitating his tax evasion. Mm -hmm. But is it also advantageous to them from a tax perspective? So from a tax perspective, as the employer, they are responsible for a certain portion of the payroll tax um, taxes that I mentioned before. It's a, it's a relatively smaller amount compared to the employee side. Some of them are split between the employer and the employee. Um, I think the main reason is you know, something like this is facilitating the evasion and the government obviously has an interest in discouraging tax fraud and tax evasion. And he wouldn't have been able to do this, but for their, to the extent this is all proven up, to the extent um, your employer is willing to, you know, write a check to pay your rent and help to conceal that. There was also, I believe, allegations. So Weisselberg may not actually be the only executive. There is, um, you can read in the um, indictment, it suggests that there were other executives as well. And I believe the cooperator folks were looking around in the first week wondering if that was supposed to be Trump. It's not believed to be Trump. It's believed to be another executive of the organization who cooperated. So it, it, it could expand beyond just this one exec. There may be others who receive similar benefits. I, I would be astonished if Trump cooperated with right. circumstances, investigation and prosecution right, 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 of the right. Trump organization right, right, and, Mr. Right. and Mr. Weisselberg. But there are some ominous references throughout the indictment to others who could yes. be around. Yes. So it could get bigger, but coming back to this, mm -hmm. a lot of people greeted this, I don't know, um, with some sort of, it was kind of, you know, not with a bang, but with a whimper, a bit of a, right. you know, disappointment to some people because we've been through four years yes. of collusion with the Russians, trying to right. get the Ukrainians to start a case against an investigation of Joe Biden. Yep. Um, January 6th, let's not forget, campaign finance issues with Michael Cohen and the payments to Stormy Daniels. Right. And then what come, and not to mention the, the, the bigger Manhattan DA's office case, which was allegedly about misrepresentations to investors about the value the condo, right? Yeah. Yeah. At the same time that they were under yeah. presenting a yes. different value to that of that property in the tax returns. So after all of that, it's right. a little bit of a letdown that what we've got out of this, the only indictment with the word Trump in it is right. 
basically charges them with, you know, buying, you know, internet service, paying for right. internet right. And rent. Oh, it seems like sort of disproportionate to mm -hmm. hype around it. And I know. reading this, it seems, um, you know, like these are the kind of things that, I mean, they're really, I mean, I imagine the defense will be that these were legitimate business expenses. So they were legitimately played, paid by the business. There's an apartment in Florida. There's a mm -hmm. various things that Weisselberg could have used in the course of business. It seems a little bit like this is more the kind of thing that would ordinarily be settled civilly through, you know, an audit negotiations with the IRS. We claim this is a business expense. No, you took an unjustified uh, business mm -hmm. and you settle somewhere in between. How frequently do these kinds of acts wind up as criminal charges in New York state in your experience? Um, I, I don't know that it's terribly common. I think part of the, you mentioned the story, Stormy Daniels case, this actually came out of that probe. So in the course of investigating that is when this came up and the grand jury, I believe is sitting through the end of 2021 and could expand. So, I mean, I definitely know with respect, I can speak more on the federal level. Uh, you know, the, the DOJ will certainly pursue cases that seem like a small amount in, in relationship to the, you know, grand scheme of things. I do know that a lot of folks who I heard from were shocked that the total amount is only uh, about 1.7 million that was supposed to be off the books. And I think that, that number is shocking to people. Um, I definitely think if the organization weren't otherwise being invested, investigated, we, we would have never found out about this. You know, I think it's a case where an ongoing and, and as they find things, maybe the, the sum total of everything will look like a lot and this may just be a smaller piece, but they're definitely still investigating. And I, you know, a lot of the press has been saying, I think the prosecutors reached out to Weisselberg in the spring. They were hoping he would cooperate. Some of this could be, I mean, I, you're, I know you're a former prosecutor, whether this is pressure to get someone, you know, you put a lot of charges out, obviously there'll be some plea negotiations. Is this about pressure to tell them more about what's going on with the organization? I, I know the valuation piece you brought up has been a big uh, big issue of interest for a lot of folks. So it's just hard for me to say from that side. And for example, the, the most serious felony is the grand larceny second degree, I think, which carries a potential 15 year prison term if found guilty, but the prosecution here will have to demonstrate that within a certain period of time, I think five or six years, he got $50,000 in um, you know, refunds he otherwise shouldn't have gotten, and the victim of that theft is supposed to be the IRS. So a lot of, I think, defense attorneys are saying, can you really string together all of these, what some would consider individual tax issues and make it into something that you're spanning back to 2005, 2008, 2010. So how they deal with the statute of limitations, I think will be really interesting. Yeah, that's that's something else that one strikes them. The amount right. you say is not that great. It's maybe 1.7 million or the, is the total amount of off the books um, payments. Um, mm -hmm. And I assume the, the amount that was not paid in taxes is less, um, but I'm not, I'm not sure about that. But at any rate, stretched over a 15 year period. Right. Right. annual basis it's not that much and then when we look at it going back 15 years as yeah. you said, uh, we've got a statute of limitations how do they get yeah. they're alleging this scheme uh, began in 2005 uh, which is just an a ongoing long time scheme. ago right, right. they're alleging right one continuous scheme and right. that will of course be the subject of motions by the defense yeah. uh, defense right say no what they've done is exactly what you said they start yep together a number of individual acts to create one scheme to drag all this stuff right. that shouldn't right. be 
in the statute of limitations into the statute of limitations. Right. Whether or not that will succeed, we'll have to we'll have to see. We'll see. Because um, you're right, the total but, amount of evaded for him is is less than eight hundred thousand dollars, I think. So it's not. It's, people were, yeah, I think, over, very surprised at the number over the over a fifteen year period. Now that doesn't make it any less a crime. Right, of you course, know, steal money from the government. You steal money from the government. Right. There's no de minimis exception to that. And eight hundred thousand for most people is certainly a lot of a money. Lot. Um, it's just compared to sort of what the I don't know. I think some of the expectations were right. Uh, the controversy, the numerous controversies around um, the former president, I think people were expecting. Right. But again, this may just be the beginning, as we right. said, as you noted, this might be the beginning and not the end. So mm -hmm. point, what do you think is going to happen next in the case? I mean, I, I'm very interested to see if if more executives are, are indicted, um, if they uncover more. It'll be interesting to me to see if, if Weisselberg just decides to start cooperating at some point, because that could change all of this. You know, I know they're continuing the grand jury investigation. So also anything could pop up beyond just the tax piece. So that'll, I know they're very interested in exploring more about the Trump organization's finances. You know, I know you mentioned the criminal part too. I do know that, you know, I was a long, a long time city, New York City resident. I definitely think the climate, um, there is a lot of distrust and dissatisfaction when executives and white collar individuals are viewed to be held by a different standard. Um, New York has had a lot of sort of criminal justice reform in the last couple of years. So I can also see this as a, you know, the prosecution, prosecutor's office showing that these things are taken seriously, even if it's a relatively small amount compared to the hundreds of millions of dollars the organization probably makes in a year, that this is still, you know, like you mentioned, a crime and you can't steal from the state or local or federal government at any point for any amount. Right. And to most people, this is a large amount. Huge, right. Making a lot less than Mr. Weisselberg right. to pay all of their taxes. Yeah. And yeah. one can certainly understand the indignation right. um, they feel hearing about these kinds of things. Well, right. Anyway, this is a fascinating case. I am certain yes. not the end of it. Um, this is going to continue. Yeah. And we'll definitely want to have you back as this case uh, as this case develops and finds its way through the courts. Thanks so Absolutely. much. Thank you for and having st me. Stick around for the sure, remainder. Of course, Aaron, please, please course. do. <laughs> and so, I guess Tom, with that, I'll uh, I just want to jump real quick to talk about the new SEC enforcement director. So, um, uh, the, the 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 SEC and uh, uh, Chair Gensler has announced that New Jersey Attorney General Gorbeer Grewal will uh, be named the new SEC enforcement director. He's the current New Jersey attorney general, as I mentioned. Um, he'll start the job on July 26th. Remember that he takes the place of Alex O, who was named director of SEC enforcement for a quick minute, uh, but then stepped down amid uh, criticism of conduct in a case that she managed while in private practice. Um, her resignation also came amongst a cadence of criticism and pretty steady criticism from progressive elements in the Democratic wing over perceptions that Miss O and frankly other SEC enforcement directors as well were too close to corporate and Wall Street interests. It's this concept of the revolving door that I know we've talked about. I've given my views on the revolving door. I won't get into it again. I think you know lawyers when they take a job in the government they take it seriously and they can divorce their prior lives from their current job. I don't think Tom and Aaron would view it any differently. Um, but what we have here is we have, with the exception of a couple years in private practice, early on in his career, we have a career 
law enforcement officer, a career prosecutor. Again, he's the New, uh, New Jersey Attorney General. Before then, um, he was uh, a, a federal prosecutor in the District of New Jersey from 2010 to 2016 as an AUSA in the criminal division. Um, where he was the chief of the economic crimes unit from 2014 to 2016, where he worked on some, some fairly high profile cases, including being the lead prosecutor in U.S. v. Drinkman et al., which is the largest known data breach prosecution um, in a worldwide scheme targeting corporate networks. Um, he's also obviously handled white collar securities fraud cases, including Ponzi schemes. Um, prior to joining the uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of New Jersey, um, Mr. Grewal was an Assistant U.S. Attorney in the Criminal Division at the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Eastern District of New York, the breeding ground of one Tom Firestone. And Tom, I know you were in the office with him for a while. Um, it would love to hear your 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 take on him to the extent you can. I understand you guys never really worked on a case together, but you certainly know who he is. Yeah, no, I remember him from the office and, you know, my memories from many years ago are probably not that significant given that he's had such a public profile um, as attorney general. So I think what the public knows about him is, um, uh, is you know, is pretty accurate. And I don't know that I've had much to add to it. My recollection of him um, was that he was just extremely bright, very collegial and very professional. So exactly the kind of person you want in a high public office. He certainly distinguished himself as attorney general of uh, New Jersey. Not an easy job by any stretch. And I think he's uh, I think he's an excellent choice for this position. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my take is it's a good pick. He's a good candidate, right? And looking at his resume and his background, I've got no reason to think that that he's going to be anything other than somebody who you would expect him to be calling balls and strikes appropriate as appropriate based on the law and the facts. Clearly been in the trenches for a long time, understands what it's like to be a prosecutor in a major city that has major financial crime issues. So again, I think this is a, I think this is a good pick. Um, and I expect uh, that it will be a non-bumpy road over the next three and a half years. Um, and, and to add to what you say, I think that's an important point. He always struck me as not ideological. He's not one of these people who's going to go after business in the SEC, nor is he somebody who's going to go soft on yeah. business. As you say, he's going to call balls and strikes. He's, you know, raised in that tradition of take the case where the, the evidence, you know, follow the evidence when you put the case together. And I think he'll be very professional, non-ideological in this position. Excellent. And so I want to close this out real quick, talking about a case that was filed um, late last week, SEC versus Apostolos Trobius. There's also a parallel criminal case filed in the Southern District of New York, on, on July 9th as well. Uh, this case is fascinating. It involves uh, a scheme to sell, fraudulent scheme, uh, according to the SEC and the DOJ, to sell insider trading tips, what were characterized as insider trading tips on the dark web. Um, the SEC's complaint alleged anti-fraud violation of federal securities law sought the full suite of, of monetary sanctions and obviously, like I said, there was a criminal action as well. So what, what happened here? So the SEC claimed that from December 2016 to February 2021, Trovius operating under a pseudonym online avatar, the bull, uh, engaged in a deceptive scheme to offer and sell insider trading tips on multiple dark websites. Most, the most common one being 
called Tor. If you if you do any cybersecurity work, you'll, you know Tor. Tor is one of these dark websites. Um, the problem is, is that he eventually started selling these tips to an undercover FBI agent. Um, but before we get to this punchline, let's talk about some of the facts. There are two main elements of this case. Um, one is that um, uh, Trovius is alleged to have sold tips based on uh, selling order book information that he allegedly got from a clerk at a trading desk, presumably at some type of major financial institution. That's one bucket. The second bucket is that he was alleged, he's alleged to have sold tips um, and information on corporate earnings releases pre-release. So he basically somehow obtained corporate earnings releases for companies in advance and then sold those on the dark web. Both form the, um, the basis for the action here with the SEC uh, and, and, and the U.S. Attorney's Office. So the order book information, what Trovius <laughs> claimed to be doing was selling information that he obtained through uh, order book flow through weekly and monthly subscriptions as well as one-off sales. So he sold over 100 subscriptions to various investors via the dark web and then purchasers uh, bought and sold securities based on these tips. And so we'll get into sort of a little bit later what the tips are, but basically what he did, guys, is um, he wasn't giving the order book information to the subscribers. What he was doing is he was, um, if you believe what the SEC is alleging, he was flipping through the order book information, discerning what the recommended um, uh, trades would be based presumably on what these financial institutions or this order book flow was saying they were buying and selling. And then he would sell to subscribers a recommendation. For example, buy this stock at the beginning uh, uh, before the market opens or at market open on this date. My confidence in one example, he said, confidence is eight out of 10, one being low, 10 being high. So those are the types of tips that he would give. And again, the, this was based on his um, dark web profile and the subscriber link that he was offering on the dark web that said he was getting this information um, from office clerks or from office clerk waiting at a working at a trading branch that would reveal, quote, what the big boys were buying and selling. And so he sold a month monthly plan um, for his insider trading tips for $299 a month, as well as a weekly plan for $99.95 a month. I sound like this is an infomercial, but this is not, it's literally a federal criminal and an SEC uh, case. Um, the tips themselves, I, I sort of walked you through what they are. Um, again, um, the, the SEC alleged evidence that he provided, Trovius provided tips along how I described on a regular basis. And then he would get feedback from investors and from subscribers saying, for example, one allegation was, hey, thank you, your tips were great. I was able to uh, you know, buy and sell the stock and, and, and make money based on the information that you provided. And the SEC put that in there in order to obviously make a in connection with allegation, right? Because the federal securities laws, fraud in connect or 10B5, fraud in connection with the purchase and sale of a security. So they're trying to, what they're doing is they're trying to establish a connection between the, between the selling of these tips and, and, and a securities trade. And so that's clearly why they're doing it. And, and they take great pains to talk about what the subscribers are saying. Um, what's interesting is that the SEC isn't quite sure whether this stuff is real or not. At least that, that's my read of the case, right? Because what their allegations are, it's um, these statements were either materially false and misleading and made in furtherance of a scheme to deceive purchasers 
who wanted to trade based on information. So you sort of, my parenthetical is, they're not sure whether he actually had order book information and he might've been lying to people about that. So they made that allegation. In the alternative, they said, or if true, and, and Travois's source in fact existed and provided some or all of the tips from actual order data book information, Trobius engaged in a fraudulent scheme to sell material non-public information that he knew or was reckless in not knowing was obtained in violation of a duty of trust and confidence for personal benefit. Again, it's that trust and confidence, right? He, he has to obtain the information from some insider who owed a duty of trust and confidence to the source of the information um, to not disclose that information. And then it had to be disclosed for some type of personal benefit, a pecuniary benefit to the person who's disclosing it. So the SEC is covering all their bases here on, um, uh, or at least trying to cover all their bases on, 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 a, on a traditional insider trading uh, or a, a tip or tippy misappropriation theory more appropriately. Um, and then they got into the earnings re report tipping. And it's more or less the same thing, except far more direct. And this SEC specific alleged, this is where Travis uh, tipped an, an FBI agent or, or an IRS agent. Um, so in, in July of 2017, um, he emailed an IRS agent presumably unbeknownst, and said he'd soon have access to some unpublished earnings information, and that he has said the information is sensitive and more importantly, illegal to use or share. Again, they throw that in there to help establish scienter or state of mind. Then in July, um, the defendant, Travias, offered to sell the unpublished earnings report for $5,000 um, and, uh, and, and, and ultimately provided that those earning, that, that earnings information that or that uh, unpublished earnings report IRS agent, even though the SEC says he didn't get paid for it at that time, um, but but they're still trying to establish a, a a compensatory intent between giving this to the undercover IRS agent and um, and getting getting paid in return. Um, and uh, uh, so what the SEC said is, then practically nine hours after he gave the report to this undercover IRS agent. Um, uh, the company announces quarterly earnings during a conference call, and that consistent with the email, um, this company reported revenue and diluted earnings of an amount that were consistent with what uh, Travias told the IRS agent. Uh, and uh, Travias also provided correct numbers for this company's revenue growth estimate, um, and uh, as well as EPS. And then following this announcement, the stock price price closed uh, up. Uh, 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 14.8%, 197.85 uh, on, the, on the day of the announcement from the previous day closed 172.3. Um, so again, the, what the SEC is doing here is they're, they're trying to establish that Travias is getting this information again. Um, they're saying that the SEC alleged that Travias knew recklessly disregarded or had reason to know that the pre- release earnings information were material non-public information that had been disclosed in breach of a duty of confidence. Um, and they made the same allegation with respect to the tips given to this IRS agent. So um, again, it's a 25 page complaint. It's fairly thick in detail, but the point is uh, th this is the type of information and these are the types of issues that um, corporate clients and, and corporations face all the time, right? They are not put directly in the crosshairs of a particular government, whether it's U.S. Attorney's Office or SEC investigation, but their information clearly is at 
play in the investigation. And oftentimes these companies are brought in as witnesses um, to assist the SEC and, and the DOJ, frankly, in determining who the source of the tip was, arguably. I'm sure that's what happened here. And, um, and, and who would have had access to this information as well as to determine the, the accuracy of the information and who had possession of that information leading up to the release. Um, and it's obviously a tricky place for companies to be because it's, it's hard to get in front of, of the government uh, unless you, you really have to. Um, but the reality is the, 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 the SEC and the US Attorney's Office are looking more and more at these cases, especially given the, the explosion in the dark web and cyber incidents. The, the SEC and the U.S. Attorney's Office are looking more and more to companies, including publicly traded companies, not so much as wrongdoers, but victims, or at least, at the very least, fact witnesses in cases like this. And I think this case is, is a perfect example of you can have a very serious criminal and civil charges. Um, the, probably some of the most serious charges you can get in the securities law context, um, but you, you don't actually have a corporate defendant because really the corporation is at the very least, maybe probably more appropriately just a fact witness. So again, um, I, I think we, we could probably expect to see more and more of these cases or cases of this type as the SEC, I think, begins to sharpen its knives on its theories. I think this case will involve a lot of testing of legal theories on the insider trading um, angle, which is some of the squishiest law, um, especially from the SEC, but also criminally, um, that, that exists in the federal securities law space. So I suspect there'll be a period of time where some law is made, but um, the dark web is here and it ain't going away. And I think this is, you know, it, it's good insight into conduct A, that's going on, but B, this sort of partnership, if you will, between law enforcement, regulatory agencies, and corporations. And with that, I'm done for the day. Great stuff. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Aaron, for, for joining us again. We'll definitely want to have you back as this, uh, you. As this case develops. Thanks, Aaron. Tom, thank you. Everyone, keep the comments, questions going. Uh, we'll be back next week. Let's walk away with